episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys today. I'm Alex Mellers. And I'm Tai Fu. And I have no idea how to start this episode. I don't even know what to, I was trying to think of like a clever opening, but like what to say. I totally all went over my head. I couldn't find the perfect thing. But basically, similarly to our last episode, which was six days ago, we are recording pretty soon after a Montreal Canadiens victory. And this victory isn't just any victory because they just won a playoff round. And this playoff round has sent them into round one of the playoffs. Oh my God. It actually happened, baby. Let's two prophecies, two prophecies of mine have come true all in one day. I said, this was a playoff team by all accounts. If you looked at the entire season, the entirety of the season, this is not a fucking playoff team, but they fucking made the playoffs. All right. And only that, my bullshit pick of, ah, screw it. I'm a homer. I'm picking the Habs to win this fucking series against the Penguins. That came true, too. In four games. Four exhilarating playoff matchups against the Pittsburgh Penguins. The Habs, for the first time in six years, have won a playoff series. Though technically it might not be a playoff series. I count, I count it nonetheless. Yes, well, it totally counts the playoff series. Also, it's been five years, actually. They beat the Senators in 2015 in the first round. And this is the first... They did win a best-of-five series against the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, who were the best team in this play-in round, for sure. And I'm pretty sure they were very close to actually getting the, um, the, the bye instead of the Philadelphia Flyers. So that would have been a totally different story. But alas, the Montreal Canadiens just won three out of four times. And like I, f- I feel like I can't say anything else except just saying that over and over again until it sinks in because it totally hasn't sunk in yet. Absolutely. I mean, it's completely fucking absurd. Are you kidding me? Like, I made that pick on a total whim. Uh, it was a stupid pick. Uh, and, like, I wholly did not expect them to, to fucking, you know, light a, hold a candle against the Pittsburgh Penguins. I, not going to lie... You know, perhaps a bit of me thought that, you know, they were going to get swept. This wasn't going to be uh, one uh, any sort of matchup at all. The house would be laughed off the ice uh, in the silent arena, and it would be an embarrassment for all. <laughs> but, like, yeah, no, it got completely fucking absurd right now. I'm just, I'm still shocked. It's been what? How, how many hours has it been since the game has ended? It's been, like, three uh, hours. It's still completely absurd to me that, you know, fuck it, man. They, like, it's like this team has always let me down this season, but... You know, they, they, they somehow pulled it out. And it's and against a team that was absolutely a playoff team in the Pittsburgh Penguins, a, a juggernaut over the last half decade or decade or so, they fucking did it. They beat the team. They beat them in four games. And not only that, for the last game and a half, they were clearly the dominant team. I do just want to say that I don't think you should have the limelight all to yourself because at in our very first episode of all time, which was in late September 2019, I predicted that the Pittsburgh Penguins would not make the playoffs this year. And uh, as it turns out, I was correct. So don't you go hogging all the glory on that. This is the first time the Penguins haven't made the, I guess I guess we'll say the top eight in the East 
in in playoffs, I guess because they were top eight in the standings. But you know what I mean. First time since 2006 they haven't made the playoffs. So quite the long run that Montreal has ended here this afternoon. Well, there this afternoon in Toronto. And also, the Columbus Blue Jackets just scored their third goal in Game 4 Jesus. against the Maple Leafs. So they're now up 3 nothing with five minutes left. So it's looking a lot like all of your four Eastern Conference picks for this playing round. Uh, you'll get all the teams right. That's Montreal, Columbus, and of course the Islanders and the Carolina Hurricanes. I gotta say, we're, we're both a fuck, we're both a couple of fucking oracles out here, uh, predicting the future <laughs> left and right, uh, all the way from out in October, where we're absolutely sniping, and that was ten months ago. Uh, fucking check the calendar. All right, so you, how do you want to approach this this whole series? Because we, uh, it's been six, only six days, shorter than our usual, you know, time between episodes, but it feels like it was like fucking four weeks of content that we got of news and hockey that we. We all got to watch. So how do you want to approach, like, just even just this half series? You want to go chronologically from game two where we left uh, off? I don't know. I guess, well, as you mentioned last last episode, you were off the grid for the past couple of days. And so you came back onto the grid, I guess you could say, uh, today, like, around the afternoon. So you didn't know whether it was 2-1 to one Pittsburgh series lead or whether it was 2-1 to one Montreal series lead or whether Montreal had swept the Penguins already. Those were all within the realm of possibility for you. So you showed up, you found out because I'd been texting you incessantly with no response for the past uh, five days or so. Uh, you found out from me that it was a 2-1 Montreal series lead. And then you kind of went back after that, I think, and looked at the highlights. Meanwhile, I, I watched the games live time like, uh, like you would expect. Yeah, and so, you know, I have, uh, I'm coming off of, uh, as you said, totally off the grid vacation, no idea what was going on. Uh, the whole time, I was, it was always in the back of my mind, you know, like, what the hell is happening? Uh, did the Habs win? On the nights, uh, on the 3rd and the 5th of August, I was just, you know, that's all I could think about, you know, fuck, are they winning right now? Are they losing? Are they completely blowing it like they did all season? And, uh, you know, I just, and I fully expected them, I fully expected the comeback, all right, received that, you know, that boatload of text that you sent me. And when I got to the end of it, uh, I would be disconsolate at a 2-1 series deficit for the Habs and that the Penguins would have completely blown doors open. But alas, you know, I even dreamed about this scenario, I told you. Uh, you know, I dreamed that the Penguins had won the next two games and then I came home, watched the game four on my TV, and the Habs were eliminated in four games. Honestly, I had that dream, what, was two nights ago. Uh, but no, they fucking, they, I show up, and goddamn, they actually did it. So let's let's so let's talk about the game. All right. So game two. Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask if you wanted to start with game two, or if you wanted to start with today's game. Okay, sure. I mean, that's the one that's fucking most fresh in my mind, obviously. So let's do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, two one. Okay. So a bit of context. I'm in a rush to get home because we're coming back from the vacation, uh, and I get home around four thirty. I listen to the first period on the French radio broadcast, and. Uh, from what I hear on that broadcast, that first period, it seems like the Penguins came out with an absolute push and they seem to have dominated. But just like the rest of the series, Carey Price just held the fort. Yeah, the Penguins were probably the better team in the first period. But overall, it was it was pretty low event. And I think like that, that kind of came through in the fact that it seemed to went by to go by pretty quickly. And I feel like a lot of the same way for the for the second period. Like also no goals. It was zero zero at the second intermission. And I feel like from from Montreal's perspective, they were probably much happier about that than Pittsburgh to to play a more low event game as the underdog. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the strategy when you go into such a series. Uh, when you're clearly the less talented team. I mean, if you're going into the series, uh, if it ends up being a shootout, I mean, I, I would definitely take Pittsburgh in that scenario because they do have the talent, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, the whole squad, compared to Montreal, right? Montreal doesn't score that many goals. And so absolutely, in terms of a type of game that we're looking chippy, low event, uh, that's absolutely what Montreal was looking for. Uh, obviously, you'd like to come out of that second period. I thought they were the better team. They controlled play, and they had the better chances. Uh, I know Nick Suzuki uh, had a couple of them. One of them, uh, he hit the post. Another one, he whiffed on our open net. And so, you know, in a low event game like that, you'd like to come out with the lead heading into the third. But I thought, you know, Montreal did a solid job hanging in there. Uh, and as I said, low event, that's what they wanted to see. That's what they wanted to see. And honestly, the game as a whole is pretty low event. And, I mean, it seemed to suit Montreal just fine. Yeah, uh, similar to last episode, I guess I'm going to be providing score updates in the games that we are currently watching. William Melander just scored for the Maple Leafs, 3.55 to go, and Toronto's now down 3-1. to one. So I'll, uh, I'll, keep you, I'll keep you posted on that. But as for the Canadians game, which is, the, of course, our main point of interest, uh, I agree with you on every point. And uh, a couple players that I want to specifically mention in terms of being extremely impressive in the series. Obviously, Carey Price is number one among them. Um, as as a lot of people were talking about heading into the series, or maybe when the format was first revealed, that maybe Pittsburgh was concerned about you know getting steamrolled by Carey Price. And... Um, and we were, we kind of laughed laughed at, laughed at them like uh, oh oh that one that one happened like Carey Price is probably like a league league average goalie at best now, and it ended up happening. They were totally right to be worried, and and that that's what ended up happening. He ended up totally shutting the door on them for basically the entire series, especially game one. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Nick Suzuki is another player I want to mention was great and honest kind of. Just within the series, overtook Philip Dano on the depth chart. He uh, around halfway through game three, he joined Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher on the top line, and he stuck there for game four. And he didn't look out of place at all. I would say he was one of their MVPs. And also, the reason I kind of started stumbling, got distracted in the middle of my sentence there, is because John Tavares scored for the Maple Leafs to make it three to two, and there are still, I think, about three minutes left. Jesus. Okay, so that's definitely a storyline to keep track of. But yeah, Carey Price. I mean, that's. Okay, so we so as you're saying, that narrative came up many times, especially in the hockey Twitter sphere. You know, they were talking about all oh, the Penguins are scared. Uh, this is the kind of series where it's ideal for Carey Price to you know to steal the show. He's gonna steal for the Habs, and that's the only way they're gonna do it. And I think we both openly laughed at that on the podcast. We said you know that's a preposterous narrative. Uh, everybody's still living in 2015, uh, but uh, apparently not, because uh, he showed up, came to play. I think he's had one of the better you know. Playoff series that a goaltender's ever had in terms of safe save percentage. I think it was in the nine thirty seven, something like that, something crazy. And yeah, he absolutely stonewalled the Penguins. Uh, he kept them in games, especially early on in most of the games. I felt well, actually, yeah, in all the games, uh, Pittsburgh came out roaring. I felt in the first period. I think the first period absolutely belonged to Pittsburgh in all four of the games. And Carey Price shut them down. He didn't let them run away with it. Uh, and I don't know. It just seemed like whenever you need a save, he gave you one. And he kept the Habs in. He's absolutely the reason why the Habs are moving on. And so, yeah, when you see player polls from now on for the next five years, expect Carey Price to be, you know, getting the majority of the players' votes just based on this one four-game series against the Penguins. Uh, it's absolutely going to happen. Uh, if, the, if he wasn't overrated before, uh, he's, his, his stock <laughs> is absolutely soaring right now. Uh, and, yeah, Nick Suzuki, I mean, it's just all season we've been raving about him. 
and it feels like he's just hit another level this series. Uh, his development has been fantastic, and you can you just see him all game through. You know, he's everywhere on the ice defensively, but especially offensively, uh, creating chances. I just mentioned a couple, uh, you know, just a few minutes earlier how he had a couple of great chances. Uh, he scored in the first game, and he's just buzzing. He's like going after the puck. He's got the puck. He's making plays. He's got the passing. It's just Nick Suzuki. And when you say he's past Philip Deneau, I think I absolutely agree. Uh, I think he absolutely looked great on the first line this game uh, and, and from what I saw in game three as well. And so, yeah, I think first line center, uh, we've been talking about this, you know, perhaps this, this could be happening at some point. I think it's absolutely happened where Nick Suzuki has taken over that role. Uh, and another player I want to shout out, part of that youth movement, uh, Jesperi Kokniemi. I thought he came back a totally different player. Uh, from his stint in the AHL. I think he played in Finland a bit. Uh, so if we're trying, giving a third star on the Habs, I'll give it to Kakanyami. I think he looked totally different compared to, you know, a player that looked kind of lost in the NHL level. Uh, this time around, he's come back. He's making plays. He looks confident. His passes are crisp. Uh, fuck, he's got some aggression to his game. You know, he's fucking checking people. Uh, he's, he's come back totally different and totally made a difference. I think he was playing second pair center, uh, second second line center by the end of the series. And, I mean, his line was absolutely clicking. So he's very cocky a thumbs up for him because the improvement in his game uh, was extremely marked uh, this game during the series. Yeah, uh, I just want to pause for a second. Whoa! Oh, sorry, I kind of spiked there probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to pause for a second to watch the end of the Leafs Blue Jackets game. Toronto just tied the game. I think it was Zach oh Hyman. God. Yes, there are, there are 22 seconds left, and it is now 3-3. So Toronto, who blew a 3-0 lead uh, last game and lost 4-3 in overtime, just came back in the final five minutes, or maybe even less than that, to come back from down 3 nothing and tie the game at 3-3. So I was going to ask to pause to watch the last 30 seconds of that game, and as I was saying it, Zach Hyman tied it. So I assume, unless there are any more crazy heroics on either side, we're about to be heading into intermission. So I can now focus, put my full 100% attention on talking on this podcast. And uh, who I wanted to mention, Carey Price again, I wanted to mention one other thing about him because we talk a lot about players, or not us necessarily, but people talk about uh, playoff performers and players. And two that came to mind to me for a long time were Danny Briere and Joel Ward. Like, pretty good players, especially Danny Briere at his heights was a star. But two players who always seem to find an extra gear in the playoffs and score clutch goals and their numbers were like consistently through their careers up in the playoffs. And I think Carey Price is a, is a similar player because you look at his track record, whenever Montreal makes the playoffs or if he's like playing internationally, he always seems to bring his A game. And this year was no different. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why people were so scared of Carey Price because he has that track record of playing well in important games. And I mean, we, uh, we probably both kind of agree that maybe that clutch factor is slightly overvalued by some people. But I think when you're talking about someone who's proven it multiple times that they're clutch, quote unquote, especially if it's a goalie, that, that really counts for a lot. Two other guys I want to shout out, um, Ben Chirot and Brett Kulak. I thought they were both excellent, and I thought they both got better as the series went on. Honestly, all six defensemen uh, were were great. Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie are obviously the best two on the team, and they did exactly what they needed to. They both produced offensively as well. Jeff Petrie got two game winners. And Brett Kulak and Ben Chirot, though, I wanted to especially mention them. Because in my opinion, they surpassed expect expectations. Uh, they were talking on um on Sportsnet about the the trident on the Canadiens' defense: Weber, Petrie, Sherratt, and Ron McLean, 
who seems to have quite the affinity for Brett Kulak, said that that he should certainly be in that group as well. And maybe they should be the Fab Four. And I mean, Victor Matei and Xavier Wallet as the bottom pair looked kind of shaky in the in the first game. But as the series went on, I didn't really notice them that much anymore. And if you don't notice your bottom pair, then I think they're, they're, they've done a pretty good job. And that certainly cannot be said for the Pittsburgh Penguins bottom pair, who were on for all four goals against in Game 3 in that 4-3 loss. And Jack Johnson, who I think I think the Canadians owe him a big one for this series. Yeah, seriously. If I was going to give a fourth star for the Montreal Canadiens for this series, I would give it right to Jack Johnson, uh, without a doubt, because this man might have single-handedly gifted the Habs a series. I mean, he was fucking atrocious. Uh, out of position, uh, I, I remember on the clock in the Emmy goal, kind of shoved him into the goal. Uh, and and that, that play resulted in, uh, I think that was game one. And... Look, I mean, I, Jack Johnson, let's let's be honest here. This man is not an NHL defenseman anymore. Uh, we've known him for a while. That contract, I don't have the details in front of me, but I know it's a fucking atrocity. Uh, never should have signed it. And I'm surprised that Pittsburgh hasn't cut their losses, and I put that directly on Mike Sullivan and perhaps a bit on Jim, Jim Rutherford. Uh, one thing I can give credit to the Habs for with the whole Carl Alsner disaster was that, you know, at one point they said fucking enough's enough. This guy's terrible. He's not an NHL player anymore. We gave him the contract. That's over with now. Let's just send him to the minors. Let him be playing the AHL because he doesn't belong in the NHL. And what when the when the Penguins don't do that with Jack Johnson, when they leave him in the AHL, they give him significant minutes too. At one point, I, I know you sent me like the stat. He had more minutes than fucking John Marino uh, for the Penguins this game. I mean, it's completely absurd to me. Uh, it's it's apparent that they cannot see what everybody else can see, and that Jack Johnson and his partner, uh, fucking both atrocious. And it showed in the series. It, oh, I think it cost them the series. One of the key factors uh, is just uh, their bottom pair and their bottom six did not come to play and were completely overmatched by the Habs' bottom six, uh, which was really clicking. And so, yeah, when it comes to factors that really put them over the edge, I felt like, you know, this this is this feels like the ideal version of the Habs that I was maybe envisioning when I predicted that they would make the playoffs. You know, everything's kind of clicking. Uh, you know, it's just the defense. You have Weber and Petrie playing at a great level. You have Sherratt, who turns, who's turned out to be an absolutely fantastic signing. Uh, I don't, I think we both ex- uh, expressed some skepticism at it uh, when they signed him, but he's uh-huh. completely blown away the expectations, not just in the series, but overall. Uh, and, you know, yeah, Willette and Matei got some concerns, but they're all right. And when it comes to the bottom six, I mean, it's the depth, right? They don't have the superstar. Maybe they have one in Suzuki now. But they never really had the superstar in the, in the forward core. But what you expected from this team if they were to win was that the depth would really come at you. And when you get to the third third line in particular, uh, that's where the Habs would get the advantage. It didn't really materialize at all throughout the season. And that's why they were dog shit. And that's why they were 12th place when the season came to a pause. But against this Pittsburgh series, especially now that they've shaken up that, you know, Claude Julien has shook up the lines uh, the way he did in the middle of game three. It, the Habs really feel optimized uh, and give me confidence, not just, you know, whatever playoff matchup they get next round and next week, but, you know, they can keep this going next season, whenever that is. Uh, I really do like the setup of this team and the way they were clicking the series, even though it is a small sample size. I really did enjoy what I watched. 
Yeah, uh, I don't think it's fair to put like uh, a ton of blame on Justin Schultz for this because he's he's not terrible, at least in my opinion. I think he's just the kind of defenseman who needs a solid partner in order to be effective. And Jack Johnson is obviously probably like the worst possible player that you could pair with Justin Schultz. So that that's my outlook on that. And the other player, or I guess the next player I want to shout out because I, I might kind of want to shout out the entire team pretty much, uh, save maybe a couple who weren't super impressive. But anyway, Arturi Lekkanen. The man who scored the winning goal today, of course, on a beautiful setup from Paul Byron. Arturi Lekkonen, I think, was playing the best hockey he's played in his entire NHL career so far. I've been a, a fan of him pretty much since the beginning. I think he was given like an opportunity in the in the top in the top six right when he came over from Finland in October 2016. Uh, but he's really carved out a niche as a super effective third liner. And when he can come through offensively in the clutch moment like that, along with Paul Byron, who I think are like two perfect third line wingers uh it, it really it really inspires a lot of confidence and i think that when his when his contract is up because this next season i think is the second year of his two-year deal and he's going to be an rfa again i really hope they find room to to keep him because i know like a bunch of players kakanyemi tatar dano gallagher petrie their contracts are all coming up at the same time so it's definitely going to be a squeeze but i hope they manage to keep our terry in around yeah that is fascinating as a player i mean if you look if you ask anybody who doesn't follow the Habs who Arturi Lekkonen is, they have no fucking idea who you're talking about. Uh, but, yeah, as you said, he's carved out a nice little niche for himself on the, in the you know the middle six. And, yeah, he's settled in. And you mentioned the clutch factor. I think he's had, like, seven playoff points in 10, 10 games. Small sample size. But, nonetheless, Very nice. I mean, he, fucking, he scored today. Uh, and so, you know, can't take, can't take that away from him. So, yeah. Arturi Lekkonen, absolutely. I want to shout out everybody, absolutely, just like you do. Uh, I just want to go down the roster and say, good for you. Uh, another guy who, you know, total roller coaster. I feel, of the series. We talked about him last episode. Jonathan Drouin. I mean, he was from what you told me, he was atrocious in Game 2. Bounced back in Game 3. I know he scored a goal on a nice tip on a deflection there in Game 3 as part of the comeback. And so, yeah, what are our thoughts on Jonathan Drouin in the end? He had a Hell of a roller coaster, I'd say. Yeah, I th- honestly, my thoughts are kind of the same as they've been all along ever since I saw him play with Yusperi Kakanyemi in October. Because for whatever reason, uh, those two players seem to bring out the best in one another. And I don't see any reason for Claude Julien to ever split them up in- unless that chemistry dies down. But I mean, uh, right in-, in the middle of Game 3, when Claude Julien switched up all the lines when they were down 3-1, to one, he put Suzuki with Tatar and Gallagher. He put Druan with Kakanyemi and Armia. And then that was there was Dano, Lekkonen, and Byron as the third line. Everything is it all seemed to click. That's when Montreal their comeback started. Uh Druan got that that second Montreal goal. And then Paul Byron scored the their third goal on the wraparound. And of course, Petrie got the game win in the third period. And that momentum, for the most part, carried through into game four. And I assume that when their next series starts, that first round series against either Tampa Bay or Philadelphia, we'll, we'll find out at some point tomorrow who that is. I assume and hope that Claude Julien keeps all those lines together. And I honestly think that if Jonathan Drouin keeps playing like he did in those last one and a half games, not saying he'll necessarily be like worth the contract, $5.5 million a year, but if they keep him with Kakanyemi for the distant future, and he keeps performing at that level, then I won't be as distraught about it as I seemed six days ago when we recorded our last episode. Yeah, maybe I won't ask for that refund in the end. Because when I look at these lines, these four lines, it really looks nice, doesn't it? Like, it, it kind of it radiates joy. Maybe because they've won the last two games, but it just clicks not only on the ice, 
But when it when I read it down on paper, uh, I mean Suzuki, Tatar Gallagher, uh, Tatar Gallagher have been you know part of that first line for a long time now, for a year and a bit. And I mean it's clicked. It's been one of the better five on five lines in the NHL apparently, as in terms of being a first line. So I'll take their word for it. Uh, those analytics gurus. Uh, and you add Suzuki to that. I love it. And then you look at Kakanyemi join Armia. I mean, it seems to work. As you said, Kakanyemi join seems to work great. And Armia is a very underrated piece, I feel. Uh, belongs in the top six bucket. And it's just that line is speedy and it works. And then you look at the third line. And I, you know what? I really, really do like that third line. Because Philip Dano, uh, I think he's had his, his, uh, he's had his struggles. He had three penalties in the first game. But you know what? As a third center, he really, it just looks excellent to have that guy who was on the first line for so long. Uh, and, you know, you want to shut down line? I think this absolutely works because Paul Byron, trusted vet uh, on the wing. And you have Artur Lekanu, who we just spent, you know, five minutes praising. And, yeah, the fourth line, Max Dovey's there. So that's nice. You got a couple of scrubs, maybe, with Weiss and Belzeal or Evans or whoever ends up playing uh, in that slot. But, fuck, I like this forward court. And I like how it's arranged right now. And I would not change a thing heading into the first round of the 2020 playoffs. Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to say I love this forward core. But, I mean, Claude Julien, in terms of the, what he has at his disposal, I think he's done a, a very good job with these lines. And we've talked for so long, basically our, our entire fandom, about the number one center being the big Montreal gaping hole. Thomas Placanis was their, their best center for a long time. We had to live through, like, five years of David Darnay on the top line, it seems, or maybe four years, whatever it was. Anyway, and now I have full faith. I have full faith that Nick Suzuki is 100% capable of filling that hole for the next 10 years and being a great number one center. I wouldn't say he's already a great number one center, but I think he's certainly going to grow there. And I mean, yes, Barry Kakanyemi has just turned 20. And so now we got these two 20-year-old guys who are already playing your first, second line center. And now you've got Philip Dano, who is one of the best defensive centers in the entire NHL on your third line. I think, I really think that uh, center is now a strength for Montreal. And if, if those top two guys are 20 years old, then it's just going to get better and better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the center was such a gaping hole for such a long time. Every offseason, it was the only narrative uh, with the Habs is who are they going to find at center? And then the answer, in the end, was really nobody. But yeah, as you said, and you can feel the, the, the confidence and the faith that Claude Julien has in him. I know in his post-game presser today, he talked about how without the youngsters, he would not be standing there uh, after a series win against the Penguins. And that's just that's just the truth, right? Uh, Suzuki, Kakaniemi, mm-hmm. uh, the other young players on the team, without them, you, the Habs get absolutely nowhere. They were instrumental in shutting down the Penguins. I mean, Suzuki, he, this guy's playing first-line minutes. He's shutting down Sidney Crosby, for crying out loud, who, uh, along with Evgeny Malkin, they were both uh, silent in Game 4, uh, along with the rest of the Penguins, I might add. And so, it just, it's... it's it inspires great confidence for the future. Like, can you imagine yeah. on top of this next year or the year after, whatever the fuck, we're going to add Cole, Cole Caulfield to this roster, this forward core. Uh, I can't wait. Just absolutely nutty. Yeah. I was thinking actually recently, I guess not extremely recently, but like if Montreal did lose the series and ended up picking ninth, then you're maybe adding, especially based on Bob's ranking, Bob McKenzie's draft list, uh, Alexander Holt is ranked in the ninth spot. So that'd be pretty cool to have Holt and Caulfield joining this core. But alas, Montreal will now be picking uh, no earlier than 16th overall. So Alex Holt uh, won't be coming here. 
Uh, don't want to talk about the draft uh, at this very moment and who they might get there because there are clearly more important things to discuss. But uh, yeah, I, wanna, I was thinking about the patch ready trade earlier. Like looking in hindsight now, if they had only gotten Nick Suzuki in that trade right now, that's that's totally 100% worth it. Not They also got Thomas Attar and the pick that ended up... Uh, they traded down for Matthias Norlander. So at the time when we were saying like, oh, uh, Mark Bergeron has kind of lost all the leverage on this Max Patch ready trade. He's not going to get a good deal. And then he he just he pulls you know Suzuki Tatar in a second round pick out of nowhere in like three in the morning in September. And I mean at this point it looks like a fleecing. Yeah, are you kidding me? He got two first liners for the price of one, uh, and it's just completely absurd. I was thinking about this too. I was like, God damn it, Suzuki might be a better player than Pacioretty right now. Uh, and he plays a more valuable position at center than Pacioretty does. And so, yeah, uh, just bonkers trade from uh, Mark Bergevin there. So, you know, uh, I may be on the side, uh, maybe in the camp of, you know, Bergevin, maybe we should take a hard look at whether he should still be on the job or not. But, I mean, I can't take this away from him. It's an absolute fleecing. Your first, your new first line center of the next for the next 10, 12 years, hopefully. Uh, you acquired him along with you know his current line mate as a cap dump. How brilliant is that? On top of a defensive prospect who looks pretty promising now. Who knows how that ends up? Uh, but just completely beautiful right now. That, that trade, just chef chef's kiss all the way. Yep. Uh, so I want to start maybe looking ahead just a little bit into who Montreal may be playing in their first round playoff series, a real playoff series. It will either be the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Philadelphia Flyers, and it will be whichever one of those two teams beats the other one tomorrow in their uh, their game. We still don't know what, exactly what time it's going to be played at, but it will be happening tomorrow. We know that much. And my first re- instinct just like yours, was I'd much rather play the Flyers. I think Montreal has a much better chance of beating the Flyers. But the more I thought about it, I'm, I'm not so sure. Because because the Lightning, I mean, they're an offensive juggernaut, of course, even without Stamkos. We're, we're not sure when he's going to be back. He hasn't played in any of the round-robin games. Even without Stamkos, they're an off- offensive juggernaut and uh, a Stanley Cup contender. But Montreal did kind of somewhat prove that they could do a good job of shutting down an offensive juggernaut, like they just did with Pittsburgh. I know that... You could argue Tampa Bay is kind of on a level up from Pittsburgh, but I would say offensively, maybe not, especially without Stamkos. And the Flyers, on the other hand, are kind of just a jacked-up version of Montreal. They're a deep team. They're a team with a bunch of great shutdown centers. And, I mean, they've got a, a pretty good defensive core. And Carter Hart, I'm pretty sure he's been doing great considering how well the Flyers have been doing. So I obviously don't love Montreal's chances against either one of these teams. But if I had to pick, I would maybe give them uh, a slightly better chance of beating the Lightning than the Flyers. You know what? Yeah. I, I, I We were talking about this off the air just a little while ago. And yeah, initially I was, when, when you when you read the scenario to me where, you know, the winner of Philly and Tampa, we get to face them. I was like, let's go Philly all the way. But then you raised the, the, the whole situation with, you know, yeah, what you just said with, you know, how Philly is basically just Montreal, but better talent-wise. And Tampa is kind of like Pittsburgh. I kind of do like the matchup against Tampa, don't I? Like, the more I think about it, uh, Tampa, obviously, we don't know how they are mentally uh, after, you know, they completely shit the wagon against, uh, or shit the bed, I should say, against the Blue Jackets <laughs> last year. So, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't know what to think anymore. Like, I'm completely torn. On one hand, yeah, I'm terrified of the talent on Tampa Bay. They are stacked. 
head to toe, forward to the defense of the goalie. I don't want to face Vasilevsky four, three, four, five. No, wait, no, four to seven times. I forgot it's a seven-game series. Uh, four to seven times. I don't want to do that. But then again, I look at Pitts Philly. Uh, they've been absolutely rocking both before the pandemic struck and even now. Uh, I think they've given up a combined two goals. I don't want to face Carter Hart either. And apparently Philly looks extremely dangerous right now just in the round robin. I don't want to touch that either. And so, honestly, I'm completely torn. I don't want to face either of these teams. Uh, I'd, I'd like to not be a 12 seed, personally. But, uh, I mean, I guess this is the, the, the hand that we're dealt with. It's the price uh, you pay. We're dealt, exactly, for being terrible. So, you know, hey, we did it against Pittsburgh. I thought we were completely outmatched. Maybe we could do it against Tampa or Philly. But, yeah, it's definitely some really good food for thought. Who would you rather have? Philly or, Philly or Tampa, obviously the question's going to be answered tomorrow in, you know, prompt fashion. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a fucking good question. I still don't know right now thinking about it. I can't come up with a concrete answer which team I'd prefer to face right now. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about the angle of Tampa Bay getting swept by Columbus last year in shocking fashion. And that's a whole totally different angle to this because it kind of looked during the regular season. And even now in the in the round robin, Tampa Bay is 2-0 and so far. They look like they're doing pretty well. That they kind of got over that hump and they're in a good place mentally. But I could see a situation where if Montreal like scores first, gets off to a good start, maybe wins game one, there's kind of this this, uh, oh, here we go again, undertone in the Tampa Bay dressing room. So that's a, a totally different aspect to look at. But on the other hand, it would be kind of cool to play the Flyers just for the fact that uh, we'll get to go head-to-head against Nate Thompson, who we r- just traded away at the deadline. Not just traded, but relatively recently dealt away at the trade deadline. And all of that, I'm still salty about, you know, ten, I know 10 years, but 10 years ago, uh, we had that miracle run, another miracle run, uh, where they were the eight seed. They beat, they beat Washington, funny enough, they beat Pittsburgh that time too. And then uh, we, I think they were the they were the seventh seed that time. Yeah, and they, they eliminated us. And I'm still very salty about that. And I haven't, forgiven, I haven't forgiven Philly at all. And yes, absolutely, I want the revenge. I'm not gonna lie, it would be absolutely sweet to kick Philly's ass. But I, I you know, if they if they end up doing that matchup, I still don't hold I don't hold too much hope uh, because I think I think yeah, Philly's a jacked up version of Montreal, and I think Montreal either way would be huge underdogs. And we'd see most pundits pick whatever team they're facing. Yeah. Uh, honestly, whoever they end up playing, I'm probably going to go into that series with pretty much the same attitude I had going into its Pittsburgh series. Like, I'm expecting them to lose, and they're pretty much playing with house money. Except, honestly, like, for this series against Pittsburgh, there was always, the like, in the back of your mind, like, oh, if they lose, they'll get the higher draft pick and the shot at Lafreniere. And that that's totally out the window now. So there's really no incentive at all for anyone to be cheering against the Canadians. And, I mean, yeah, oh, that's the other thing I wanted to mention. Like, there were obviously, going into this Pittsburgh series, some Habs fans who were, you know, on the TL, like, oh, kind of, like, half-jokingly rooting against them. But that was all totally out the window today. Like, even the, mo- the most hardcore, oh, keep tanking even though you can make the playoffs, people were fully on board today on the Suzuki, Kotkaniemi, Carey Price, Lekkonen, Brett Kulak hype train. I'm not going to lie. I was part, I was, you know, partially... On that, on that part of the, the Habs fan spectrum when it came to the outcome of the series. You know, I was torn. Fuck, 12.5%. I kept saying it over and over. Uh, Chance of Lafreniere. I mean, who doesn't want that, right? It's, it's absolutely an alluring uh, piece of candy that comes if you end up losing the series. But, yeah, as you said, you know, we're fucking watching the games and the Habs are flying and they're just radiating positivity, radiating Ws, 
And you know, I can't I can't stop cheering for them at all. Uh, I'm not sad. I'm not you know remorseful in the least about the fact that they won this series. Uh, you give me this option, I'm taking it ten times out of ten. Uh, you know, is it sad that we won't get a chance to laugh from here? A tiny bit, but it's nothing compared to the joy I feel over the fact that a they won the series. They're making the playoffs. My predictions came true, and I mean, I am really encouraged by the development of the young players. I I, I cannot say how happy I am with that fact because it was worrisome this season when they were total dog shit and the young players kind of looked lost. I mean, Suzuki does not count among them because he's a god among men. But, you know, Kakaniyemi, uh, he was sent to the fucking HL. We were all like, oh, no, is he a bust? That would suck. But he's up. It looks encouraging. And I'm all in on this team. Yeah, those were those were the two players going into the series. Pretty much all Habs fans were like, if I want to pick two players to perform well, it's Suzuki and Kakanyemi. And honestly, I would say maybe they were the team's best two forwards from, from start to finish. So that's extremely encouraging and a super big highlight to take away from this whole thing. Before I forget, uh, I do want to mention, I'm not sure if you, you saw this in my massive text that I sent you, but we did see, besides Matt Dumba, a couple other players kneeling during the national anthems. It was in the Vegas-Dallas round-robin game a couple days ago. Ryan Reeves, Robin Leonard, Tyler Sagan, and Jason Dickinson all took a knee during the anthem. I'm pretty sure what happened was Ryan Reeves um, said he wanted to kneel like to, to his teammates, or maybe it was just to Leonard, asked if uh, he wanted to join, and Robin Leonard said, okay. And then uh, Reeves told Sagan that he was going to kneel, asked if he wanted to join them. Sagan said, yeah, I will. I'm going to ask my teammates. And I don't know if he only asked a couple of them, or, but either way, Jason Dickinson was the only one who decided that he wanted to do it with him. So it was it was just those four, but it was definitely more than I was expecting, unfortunately, and a big step in the in the right direction. Yeah, you know, it's it's miserable that four players in a game is considered you know a large number of hockey players to kneel. That's extremely discouraging. I talked about it extensively six days ago. However, you know, you gotta you gotta you gotta give it up for these players. Takes balls to take this kind of stand, especially in a sport like hockey, uh, where you know the attitude is per, you know pervasive, wherein you know don't shake the boat too much. Uh, but they did, and for a good cause too, and a great cause. Uh, you're standing up for human rights. You're kneeling for human rights, and so yeah, Ryan Reeves. I know he expressed uh, his. I remember we, we talked about a statement of his last week where he was like, you know, he doesn't want to do anything to upset the balance of the team or whatnot. But you know, good for him. Good for him for kneeling. And definitely good for, you know, Tyler Sagan to kneel for somebody, to reach out and to kneel for somebody that's on the other team. You know, you're obviously, uh, team lines disappear when it comes to an issue like this. And, you know, last of all, Robin Lehner, uh, obviously Jason Dickinson, uh, great move on his behalf. But Robin Lehner, you know, this guy, uh, we've seen many, many problematic uh, views on his from his behalf uh, over the years. And, you know, not going to lie, I thought he was a bit of a nut job. But look, looks like I know you sent me some quotes of his. It looks like he's, you know, kind of, kind of come around a bit on this this issue, and you know, gotta applaud him on that fact. And I know the sport has a long way to go, but you know, it's this this kind of stuff. I know it's only four players in the game, but it's still encouraging nonetheless. 
Yeah, uh, so for anyone who doesn't remember, I think it was about three years ago, uh, Robin Lehner had a Trump sticker on his mask, which, of course, alienated many, many people, including the both of us, and kind of made him think, oh, maybe this isn't a guy to cheer for necessarily. And he did say uh, directly that he regrets that decision and understands his mistake. And so that that's basically one of the most important things you can be looking for with a movement like this, is growth from individuals who are or open-minded and willing to learn. So props to Robin Leonard, props to all four of them. Especially I want to point out Ryan Reeves. I mean, he isn't he isn't a star player at all, and his team is owned by Bill Foley, and he's a fourth liner. Like, he could be put on waivers, and if this hadn't happened, like, no one would have blinked normally because he's just, you know, not one of the most valuable players in the, in the the on the team. And so it takes, a, well, obviously it shouldn't take guts for a player to kneel during the anthem like this, but sadly it does, especially in hockey. And for someone like Ryan Reeves, who seemed to have like everything, everything stacked against them in terms from how this might uh, not benefit him, uh, if he can do it, uh, then no other player really has an excuse. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes, you're risking your career, right? Because we've seen this all the time. Uh, you rock the boat, you get sent to the minors, we never hear of your name ever again. Uh, and I know Ryan Reeves is a veteran at this point, but still, uh, we don't. We he doesn't know the reaction of of team ownership of the league or whatever he doesn't from his teammates he doesn't know what kind of reaction it will elicit when he makes this kind of gesture but he did it anyways and absolutely should be applauded uh for his move and yeah it's just when it comes to robin leonard i'll go back to it again this growth is exactly what we want to see what we want to see people realizing the error of their ways and then addressing it directly calling it a mistake expressing the regret and you know taking concrete actions in the present and in the future. And that to me, uh, I know it's only one guy. I know these numbers are small, small sample size that we, as we would say, but still the stories are nice and I appreciate them nonetheless. Yeah. 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 Me too. A lot of people were, were very pleased with that. Even if it was just a couple guys, uh, we're now, we're now eight minutes into the overtime between T- Toronto and Columbus, uh, still tied three, three. And uh, speaking of Toronto and Columbus, uh, do you want to start talking about the other series, many of which have actually co- come to a close today, along with Montreal-Pittsburgh? All right. So which series would you like to start with? You know, I, I was initially going to – I wanted to start with this one. I wanted to eulogize the Toronto Maple Leafs, but clearly their fortunes have changed in a span of three <laughs> yeah. minutes. And so do you want to start with this series? I, I certainly wouldn't mind it. Uh, Toronto-Columbus? Yeah, Toronto-Columbus. Uh, well, let's progress. wait to – Let's wait to okay. see if it ends right. before we're done talking about all the other series, and then we'll, we'll get okay. back to it. So, so we can start with uh, we can start with the first series that ended, which was the only sweep of the of the plan. The Hurricanes swept the Rangers, um, and I mean, yeah, we we didn't. I don't think we called sweep, but we did both call Hurricanes winning, and we were both kind of confused at why so many people, uh, quote unquote experts, seem to be favoring the Rangers so much when this is a team that has two superstar forwards. And their next best forward is uh, Ryan Strom, maybe, or uh, Chris Kreider. One of those two guys, I guess. And a team that has Brendan Smith on their top pair with Jacob Truba. So not at all a deep team. They did have a couple star players, as I mentioned. But the Hurricane stars, specifically their top line of Sebastian Aho, Andrei Svechnikov, and Tevo Teravainen, just totally outclassed Panarin and Zibanejad this series. Uh, probably the much better supporting cast. Uh, didn't hurt that the Hurricanes group at all, but I mean Svechnikov especially. He had that that hat trick, in I think it was game two. Uh, he has probably already cemented himself as a like a nineteen or I guess twenty year old now, as uh, among the elite wingers in the NHL. Yeah, I mean my, that's my main takeaway 
from this series. It's watch out Carolina because I I got a feeling, I had a very good feeling going into the series that New York they were they did not really belong here and they're not they're not a, really a playoff team. As you said, they're just two players and yeah, a bunch of scrubs after that. I mean, they had Chesterkin, but I don't think did he end up playing in any of the games? I think he was hurt the whole series. Uh, no, he played and, game yeah. three. He was good to go for game three, okay. but he didn't play that well. All right. Well, there we go. So, you know, it was, it just, this team wasn't very good. Uh, and just like you, I don't understand what the hype was about uh, with this Rangers Carolina series. There was like, oh, it's going to be so exciting. Well, no, because Carolina uh, is fucking loaded. All right. That first line, just completely lethal. Uh, you know, Alho Teravainen and Sveshnikov, especially. Three snipers, and it's just unfair that they have so much to come after that as well. I mean, let's not talk about that defense core. Uh, completely stacked. And I talked about this in our preview, uh, and I talked about it six days ago after the first game, how it just looked like the Hurricanes were dominating, and they dominated throughout. They were the better team for all three games. Without a shadow of a doubt, the Rangers were outclassed. And, yeah, going into the next round, I think we talked about it shortly before we went on the air. Uh, we're picking... We're probably picking Carolina to come out of the, in the first round because, I mean, fucking watch out. Not only is the talent there on paper, but from what we've seen this series against the Rangers, they've really got it clicking. And that's a fucking dangerous combination given just the sheer amount of talent on that team everywhere. Except maybe Golden. Yeah, one, one of my favorite things about the, uh, the Hurricanes-Rangers, the, the sweep game, game number three, was it was 2-1 Hurricanes about halfway through the third period, and Sebastian Ajo just totally undressed Tony D'Angelo to, to score that third goal of, as the insurance marker for Carolina. And basically my entire TL was just people dunking on Tony D'Angelo. So that was a pretty <laughs> nice moment of a, f- a familial bond amongst, the, amongst, amongst hockey Twitter. And not to mention, the Hurricanes just swept the Rangers without Dougie Hamilton or Brett Pesci. So... Probably you could argue they're number one and number three defensemen, or I mean they've got a lot of high end defensemen, but their best two right shots for sure were both missing. Sammy Vatnin made his Hurricanes debut in this in this play in round, and he was great. He quarterbacked the power play. They've got of course Jacob Slavin, uh, could possibly be in the Norris conversation along with Dougie Hamilton. Obviously neither are finalists, but anyway, so they I don't know when Hamilton and Pesci will be back. But it looks like a possibility. It won't be too much longer. At least, uh, at least Hamilton, I think, should be back relatively soon. Uh, so if they both come back at some point during the first round, you've got Hamilton, Pesci, Slavin, Brady Shea, Jake Gardner, and Sammy Vatnin as your six, which is absolutely nuts. That is six defensemen who honestly could play, could all feasibly play on the top pair on a number of teams. And then in that scenario, your healthy scratching Joel Edmondson who was just a regular on a Stanley Cup team last year, and your healthy scratching Trevor Van Riemsdyk and Hayden Fleury. So that is a crazy deep defensive group for the Carolina Hurricanes. So even if they do, even if Hamilton Pesci are out a little bit longer or they run into some other injury problems on defense, the Hurricanes are absolutely locked and loaded. And I think whether they do end up playing the Bruins or the Capitals, I think they'll come out on top. Yeah, I mean, crazy loaded does not begin to describe that fucking defense core. You list the names, it's it's unfair. That name, that many yeah. defensemen should not be on one team. It's completely absurd that the, 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 the Carolina Hurricanes have each and every one of them locked and ready to go, except the couple that are injured. I mean, it's just, it's stupid, all right? I just, I look at the list of names, and I'm upset because I want them <laughs> on my team but they have them on their team. And it's just, you know, the, the one consolation I see this is, 
I mean, if the Habs do end up making it far, they're not going to face them until the conference finals. And if they do, they'll probably get, you know, run over like a, by a buzzsaw. But just <laughs> Carolina, watch the fuck out. And I think both of us, we're going to have them going far in the bracket because, yeah, as you said, they're loaded and they're clicking. And that's recipe for some playoff success. Well, we'll see how, how far we have them going. Honestly, I don't know if I would have them, if they're going up against like Tampa or Philly, I definitely have to think long and hard about it, but I guess we'll see. We'll cross that, that bridge of discussion when we come to it. Uh, the next series that ended was last night. It was the Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, I picked the Jets. I'm pretty sure you picked the Jets too. I did, But yes. if, I had, if I had known that Mark Shifley and Patrick Laine would both get injured in game one, I definitely would have altered my prediction. And so that, that's what ended up happening. The Flames beat the Jets in four games. Uh, and, I mean, the Jets did really hang in there. and They won game two. Their first game without Sheffield and Lina, they won game two, three to two. Jansen Harkins played great. It's a player I've always been a fan of. But anyway, so it really looked like the Jets were going to manage to hang in there and make a series out of it. But then the Flames kind of blew them out the next game, uh, six to two. I think the last one was an empty netter. And then, of course, game number four was four nothing. but the last two were empty netters. So the last game was kind of close. But I mean, the Flames, the the Jets just couldn't keep up with the Flames with missing their their top line center, who's an all star, and having Andrew Kopp as their new number one C, and Blake Wheeler actually moved from wing to center for Game Four. I'm pretty sure. And Cam Talbot, I want to mention him because I was expecting the Flames to go with with David Riddick in in this series, and starting Cam Talbot was one of multiple uh, questionable goaltending decisions made by many of these teams. But that one, unlike a few others, did end up working out very well. Cam Talbot played great, and shut out the Jets, actually, in that last game. Yeah, out of all the head-scratchers in terms of goalie decisions, this is the only one that panned out. We didn't mention when we were talking about the Pittsburgh series, how, uh, you know, they had Murray going for three games, uh, didn't really particularly play spectacular in any of them. He had a good game, too. Uh, had a bad game three when they blew the lead. And then uh-huh. Justin Jerry came in. He played, I'd say, played pretty well throughout the game for game four. Yep. Uh, he had a shutout going for most of the game. And then obviously he had that one goal at the end and then an empty netter to top it off. And so, yeah, Tristan Jerry, just one, one last point about that, that Habs-Penn series. Uh, still don't know what, you know, Mike Sullivan was thinking there. Jerry was by far the better goal of this season. Made no sense to put in Murray. Uh, playoff experience, it's all a bunch of voodoo. Anyways, yeah, I think uh, I think if the to, Penguins started Jerry yeah. this. I think the Penguins started Jerry this series. Then it's probably still going on. At least heading to Game Five if, if Pittsburgh hadn't already hadn't already won by now. Uh, no, maybe that's not true. But I mean, if they had played Jerry instead of Murray from the start, and if they had Yusuf Rikula in instead of Jack Johnson, then I'm saying that Pittsburgh probably has already won. But alas, that's not the situation we're looking at. So who wants to get get caught up in what might have happened when the Montreal Canadiens are a playoff team? Woohoo! All right, I'll get back to the Jets. Uh, and the Flames, and it's just the, the the story of the thing was, right, they, they lost their two players, and for a team that was, that basically, first of all, was not really a very good roster to begin with, carried by Hellebuck, no defense whatsoever, and that forward core, we talked about how it was so top-heavy, and when the top part of that gets injured, uh, well then, you're looking at a team that's not very good anywhere except at the goaltending position, and so, yeah, Absolutely. If you give me a, a mulligan on this one, I would take uh, the fucking Flames every single time if you told me that Shifley and Line would both get injured in game one. Uh, but, you know, that's 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 how the injury luck goes. And, you know, maybe we were a bit misguided in taking Calgary in the first place. Uh, they seem like the better team overall, even without the first timers, but who knows? Anyways, we're all just speculating at this point. Uh, so, yeah, Winnipeg, the roster was just completely outmatched by the time they lost, you know, like half their first line. And, 
yeah, no surprise there. Uh, shame for Connor Hellebuck. His uh, excellent season is over, but just the team in front of him just wasn't good at all. Uh, winning goal scored by Austin Matthews. Toronto Maple Leafs oh win game four. God. Are you four to three in overtime. Me? Two back to back. Three nothing down comebacks for a four three overtime win for opposite teams. There will be a game five in the series uh, two days from now on August 9th. All right. So um, oh, I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure that if. Yeah, and if Minnesota beats Vancouver tonight, then that game five will also be on August 9th. So tomorrow is just a pair of round robin games. And then. Um, August 9th, we're going to have at least one deciding game five, possibly two. Anyway, uh, another player I want to shout out from the Flames Jets series is uh, Milan Lucic because he was impressive. He scored a couple goals, including one that got called back. He was on like the Flames' second power play unit. And, I mean, we, we made a lot of fun of, you know, oh, Milan Lucic better than James Neal because he's going to, you know, bring the intense, big hits, intimidation in the playoffs. But, I mean, you know, maybe there's something to be said about that. Also, also, my Sportsnet feed just switched over to the Wild Canucks game, and it looks like Luke Cunning scored the first goal there, and it's and it's one nothing Wild at the moment. Okay, so we're just I'm getting flooded with an absolute bombardment of news over here. But yeah, uh, the Lucic, the Lucic love. I wouldn't be so quick to, to hit that button. Uh, you know, small, I mean, I'm not saying he was a new superstar, but I mean, he played yada, well yada, yada. in these four games. Okay. That's all. He played all right. well in these four games. So we can we can give him credit for these four games. Congratulations, Milan. Maybe you aren't a total bum just yet. Okay, how's that? <laughs> All right. Oh. Uh, yeah. So okay. So moving on. Next series. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if we're going chronologically anymore. But uh, yeah, let's go with the Islanders and the Florida Panthers. Yeah, this one just doesn't seem. Uh, this one is just. I have. I didn't like Florida from the get go, and they won one of the games, but. It just seemed like they weren't very good and they didn't really belong in this plane as a qualifier team. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like trading Trocek at the deadline, just removing that one player made the entire rest of the team look like absolute like they're not even close to a playoff team. And they yeah, they were I mean, this is kind of how we expected the series to go, I think. Like obviously like my initial pick was the Panthers, but then the more I thought about it, I was thinking, yeah, they're gonna have a tough time scoring on the Islanders who are one of the best defensively structured teams in the NHL. Not to mention, Sergei Bobrovsky is a big question mark. He, he was all right for most of the series, letting uh, at least a shake, one shaky goal in this, this game four earlier today, which seems like a very long time ago. It started at noon. And uh, yeah, the Islanders won. And I don't think anyone's too surprised about that. But going forward for the Panthers, they might be even worse next year than this year. Uh, unless Bobrovsky regains his Vezina form, which personally I, I don't see happening. I mean, I mean, maybe it'll happen, but I wouldn't predict it. And the reason they might be so much worse is because they've made it very clear they want to shed salary, and that is most likely going to involve uh, letting UFAs Mike Hoffman and Evgeny Dadanov both walk, maybe even Eric Howler too. He's a UFA. And uh, they've already got uh, not a deep team at all, even with those guys. They're going to end up with like Lucas Walmark as their second-line center unless they you know acquire someone by a trade. And uh, that defense also pretty weak. You got Ekblad, you got Keith Yandel, who doesn't, um, who I don't know how much longer until he, you know, falls off. He's getting to be about like 32, 33 years old. And then you've got like Mackenzie Weger, Anton Strahlman. Uh, Michael Matheson is pretty bad. Not much to inspire confidence there. So the Panthers, uh, not not looking too good for them for for next season. Looking ahead. Yeah, they're in for a rough ride. And you know, I gotta plug the Habs again. 
Compared to that fucking fan base, I am so much happier to be in this one. Uh, the optimism oh, yeah. is fucking booming. All right, let's go. Okay, so that, yeah, not much to say about that series. Uh, I'm not very exciting in general. Uh, let's move on to another one of the more sleeper series, I would say. Right, before we move uh, on, Nashville, before we move on. Yeah? Uh, this, this probably makes sense because I, I did pretty much watch all the games and, and you... I'm not sure if you watched any of the highlight packs or just saw my stream of text, but a couple of players I want to mention. Uh, first one is Anthony Beauvillier. He looked awesome in this series, including two goals in Game 4 this afternoon. And uh, we did mention him actually earlier, like uh, several months ago on this podcast, when I think like back in December, he tweeted like, hi, at Anna Kendrick, which was pretty funny and kind of took <laughs> over the, the hockey universe during the during Christmas break, that, like, three- or four-day break off when all the Islanders fans, and I assume many other people too, were replying to the tweet, making up stories about Anthony Beauvillier being some sort of, like, you know, big hero, like, oh, thanks for saving all those children from the orphanage and, like, shoveling my grandma's driveway, the snow off the driveway stuff. And today, they actually brought it up on the uh, the NBCSN feed, I think it was, at intermission. They, they brought it up, not, not directly, but they were like, you can tell Anthony Beauvillier's playing with a lot of confidence. Same confidence it takes to, to shoot your shot with a movie star. And I was kind of like, wait, what's he talking, well, like, what's he talking ah. about? And then that's what I kind of remembered. So I thought that was pretty funny. Want to shout out Beauvillier? Want to shout out whoever the broadcaster was who mentioned that? I don't remember who it was, though. Not if it's Mike Milbury, though. If it was Mike Milbury, then I don't want to <laughs> shout him out. Because he said some... I don't, I don't know if you probably didn't see this, but he made a joke. He made a, a very distasteful joke recently about how the NHL playoff games with no fans are reminiscent of women's hockey games. And many people didn't take that oh, very no. well. Rightfully so. So Mike oh, Milbury, who... My- already provides pretty weak analysis is uh not helping his cause with jokes like that and also like um there was the other thing when, when jake muzzin went down with that injury in in game two when he kind of his head kind of hit oliver bjorkstrand's legs it was it was kind of weird because it, it kind of it didn't look like such a such a bad play but obviously when you hit your your head you never really know what's happened and so mike milbury off the hop kind of said something like, oh, maybe not such a bad idea. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Maybe not such a bad idea to stay down and stall for time. And then he kind of walked it back a second later, but like, oh, I'm not accusing him of faking. But people did kind of take that that out of context a little bit, and they thought uh, Milbury was accusing Jake Muzzin of stalling down for an injury when, of course, he was actually injured. Well, you know, the fact that he immediately realized uh, what he said and then walked it back means that, you know, maybe there was – a bit of implication there that uh, he was faking it and then realized, oh, wait, I'm implying that he's faking it. I should probably take that back uh, or I'm into more hot water because, fuck, that's a terrible week for Mike Mulberry. Um, And, yeah, Jesus Christ. He's already a bit of a meme in the hockey world. And, you know, this just adds to the the fucking Mike Mulberry trash fire. And so, yeah, shout-out to him, or I guess an anti-shout-out to Mike Mulberry uh, for his miserable covers this week. Anyways, so, yeah. Uh, anybody else you want to, anything else you want to add about the series? Cause, uh, yes. Uh, man, I don't know. Like Joel Quenville made a bunch of really questionable lineup decisions, uh, which has kind of been the theme for him this year in his first year with the Panthers. I guess maybe there's something like getting to know all these new players. Uh, maybe you're playing around a lot because like, I think after game two, when they were down two nothing in the series, they made a bunch of like Mike Matheson came out of the lineup, which I mean, a lot of Panthers fans seem to be pretty happy about, even though he's been a mainstay there for a while. And Josh Brown came in to replace him, I believe. But then also, like, Frank Vetrano came out of the lineup. Uh, Colton Sevier, who's kind of like a staple on the fourth line there. And I think Alexi Serolo was the other guy, who's kind of a bubble guy anyway. And then, 
uh, they announced Lucas Walmark is one of the guys coming in to replace them. And I'm like, wait, why wasn't Lucas Walmark in the lineup to begin with? So a lot of strange things going on in Florida. Uh, I guess that's pretty much it on that series. Oh, also uh, Pajo, he played well. He scored, uh, I think, like, I want to say three goals this series and also won his first games with his new team, the Islanders, after losing seven straight after getting traded there on deadline day and leading into the pause. Yeah. All right. Happy times in Long Island. Uh, and yeah, Florida is just a whole big cloud of mystery, isn't it? I mean, you talk about those yeah. roster decisions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you got to think Quenville had some hand in seeing Trocek get traded too, right? Because, you know, yes, yes, I remember that. He, I think it was directly, he was like, Oh, I want to get, I don't like Trocek. I I think we should trade him. I want to get rid of him. And yeah, so I don't know. One thing, if the management is like, Yeah, I guess we agree, he's underperformed. Another thing, if you're like, Oh, I guess we've got to trade Trocek now since the coach wants us to, like, it's probably a pretty bad idea to let your coach have that much decision making and like trading away your second line center when you're trying to make the playoffs. Yeah, some weird shit. And didn't they also announce that Dale Talon is leaving this year? <laughs> After this yes, season? they like, did. I totally he... forgot. I think he is. He was, is he the general manager right now? Or uh, anyways, is he? I think he technically was the GM. Or like was there was he? a period where he was like, he became president of Hockey Ops and Tom Rowe was the GM. Then when Tom Rowe got fired, I think Dale Talon went back to being GM. And now I think, I'm pretty sure the report was that they're officially parting ways. I don't know if they actually have or if they just plan on it in the coming days but all signs point to the panthers during this offseason will be looking for a new gm yeah so that's uh that guy's been with the panthers for it feels like a long time now uh like nine years or so. i mean he's the he's the quintessential fucking uh 200 hockey man uh dale talon and so uh fucking he's on his way out from florida uh it really does seem like the whole building is on the verge of collapsing if it hasn't already uh yeah Funky situation going on with the Panthers. We talked about them last week, too, and uh, how their fans are in for a miserable ride. Well, don't expect it to end. Uh, our hearts are out for you uh, out here in happy Montreal. Okay, uh, next series that we got, we got Nashville and Arizona. And, man, I picked I picked Nashville. You picked Arizona. You got it one right. But I think, you know, I stand by my pick. I felt like Nashville was a better team from what I saw. I don't know. That's what I, that's what I think. They, you look at the numbers. You look at the you look at the high danger scoring chances. You look at the shots, which Nashville outshot Arizona in every game. And you know, just skater wise, I think Nashville took. I think Kemper might have sold in this series because Saros was pretty mediocre, and Kemper was outstanding. Yeah, especially this last game this afternoon, Kemper was great. Uh, he did have a couple shaky points uh, throughout. Um, in a couple other games during the series, especially uh, in game game two, which the that was the game Nashville won. Yeah, that was game two. Uh, this was my one big underdog pick. Uh, the only actual other underdog I picked was Winnipeg over Calgary, which wasn't even much of an underdog. This was the big one, my 11 over 6. And I'm very glad that, especially considering all the underdog underdogs that have won, notably Montreal and Chicago, uh, that at least the underdog that I picked ended up coming true as well. And the big thing was... Kemper, like, because goaltending, because they had so much injury troubles over there in Arizona ever since they acquired Taylor Hall or about that point in the season, um, they've been pretty bad. And so that was the big question mark. Now they've got two healthy goalies. Well, actually, they don't now. Now Ranta's unfit to play. But I mean, they've got Kemper healthy at least. And he was great. Taylor Hall, I thought, was pretty impressive, at least in stretches. And Nashville, I mean, they were they were awful in in stretches, and that's what really harmed them is that they couldn't you know play play a full sixty minutes as the the hockey men like to say, and they they were pretty good in, they were decent for much of the series, and they are um you know a lot of people are saying that they're better on paper than Arizona, 
I don't think I agree with that because like Nashville's forward group is just like they really have no star power. Like they have they have a bunch of like decent second liners in my opinion. Like maybe maybe Forsberg is the exception. He's their best forward. But like Johansson, Duchesne, Victor Arvidsson, Michael Granlund, Kyle Turris, like these are decent names, but nothing that inspires much confidence. And like when when Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis, two defensemen, are your leading point scorers in the regular season, then I mean, besides very rare situations, that's probably a sign that your forward group isn't good enough. And a lot of people, a lot of people were asking, like, well, what's Nashville gonna gonna do going forward now? Because it seems like they've kind of gotten off track there a little bit with that team. And honestly, if I'm in charge of that team, uh, I think I think David Poyle's run maybe should be coming to an end now. He's the only GM that team has ever had, which is crazy. So that's like about 20 years he's been the GM of that team. And I think like they made the Stanley Cup final a couple years ago, didn't work out. Now they're on the downswing. I think you bring a new guy in. And I think whichever new guy they bring in, or even if Poyle sticks around, the smart thing to do, you got to trade those forwards. You got to blow up that forward core, try try and bring some new guys in, some fresh blood to, to get some offense going. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that front. I know I picked them for this series. And I still stand by that. I think they were probably the better team in the end. Well, I don't know. I think Kemper robbed the, the series from him. I think it was one of the series, one of those series where the goalie steals it for you. Uh, but yeah, overall, I mean, they. I know they they were in a playoff spot when the season paused, and they had a bit of a resurgence there. But you know, this this whole team kind of feels like a muddy mess. Uh, and you know, you you talked about the bad vibes you got near the beginning of the season. And, you know, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, it's, it's, this team uh-huh. kind of seems directionless. Uh, their defense is, you know, slowly kind of being dismantled. It's, it's not, you know, it's not as elite as it once was like one or two years ago. And, yeah, those, those forwards, you know, they're all kind of, they're decent. But none of them, as you said, are superstars. And once you look past those, you know, bigger names, you're really not looking at much. And so, yeah, Nashville... Big question mark on what's going to happen there in the future. Definitely interesting. Uh, I mean, I just keep seeing the meme of remember when they raised the banner, I think, for like winning the division. That just keeps coming up. And that might have been their peak because, goddamn, it's just, yeah, it's it's Nashville. It just really feels like the fall of, you know, I wouldn't even call it an empire. It's the fall of a good team. Oh, not even close. No, it's just, but like, it it just feels like they they were a playoff team for a while. And it's just uh-huh. kind of feels like it's falling apart. This definitely feels like a, a prominent step in that. Uh, even though, you know, as again, I keep saying small sample size, but still, uh, you, your year is over. You don't get that run. You don't get that long run. You don't even make it to the playoffs technically. And yeah, what, looking at management, you know, it's, it, that's the thing with management. We see this often. Uh, once, you know, you have great guys, uh, you know, guys who build dynasties, but, Eventually, they all run their course. I think David Paul has done an excellent job with the Predators over the years. But yeah, I think it's probably it's almost definitely time for some new blood in the in the management group because yeah, you give them too much time. It just at one point it just goes stale, and I think stale is what I would describe the Nashville Predators yeah. in their current state. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the perfect word for it. Speaking of that, the Nashville defense. I thought it's worth mentioning. They they scratched Dan Hamuse and Corbinian Holzer all series, and their bottom pair was made up of uh, two former Montreal Canadiens, Jared Genorti and Yannick Weber. So uh, unfortunately, they, they couldn't pull it out. They couldn't pull much weight. But uh, just, I thought it worth mentioning. And the other thing with Nashville, obviously now they're they're one of the teams with a 1-8 shot at getting Alexi Lafreniere. 
And as I kind of mentioned when we first did our like power rankings of the, all the 16 teams that had a shot, I had them up pretty high. And I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing Lafreniere go to, to Nashville, not just because he's in the Western Conference opposite Montreal. But like as I mentioned, that was a team that when they were doing really well, when they made that run to the Stanley Cup final, uh, they were super fun to, to watch and obviously such a great energy in the Bridgestone Arena. And I, I forgot, like I keep forgetting, two years ago, they won the President's Trophy. Like right after they made the Stanley Cup final, they came back. They bounced right back with uh with the best regular season in the NHL. Then they lost in round two to the Jets. It was, and I mean yeah, I feel like it's they started like maybe even last season and PK Subban's last year with the team that things just start to kind of you know feel like feel like they had already ran the course with that core and maybe it was time for some fresh blood. Yeah, the the fall has been precipitous, and uh, yeah, the, it's fucking if Lafreniere ends up in Nashville. It's when they're good. It's an exciting city. We saw Nashville, uh, definitely a non-traditional market. They completely embraced the Predators when it came to playoff time. Uh, it, it was it was electric when the Stanley Cup playoffs were there. They were apparently it was an absolute blast. And from what we could see on the television screen when the games were in Nashville, I mean, it looked great. Uh, and you'll love to see that in a market like Nashville, where you know it's a fucking it's in the south. It's in the south of the United States, and so we'll love to see that thrive. And yeah, Nashville would be a nice landing spot for Lafreniere. Uh, if he could rejuvenate that team, I mean, Nashville is among my, I would say, top 10 favorite teams in the league. Uh, and so yeah, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to it. Uh, I would certainly prefer it over, you know, him going to a team like Pittsburgh or Edmonton or even potentially Toronto if they end up losing game five. So yeah, Nashville, maybe one of my favorites now uh, heading into the phase two of the lottery. Yeah, a uh, small note I want to point out about the game that's going on right now. Uh, Vancouver Canucks made a little lineup change that I wanted to mention. Uh, Oscar Fantenberg comes out on the bottom pair, and instead of replacing him with Jordy Ben, who's been a healthy scratch all series, uh, Ole Ulevi, former fifth overall pick, finally makes his NHL debut. So I don't know how he's been doing. I just I, I saw him on the ice, and now I see him on the game sheet. He's wearing number 48. He's only played a, a minute and 51 so far. We're about halfway through the first period. And uh, only only Jake Vertanen has played less than him. So Oh, and Zach McEwen. So not much ice time for him yet. But that's a draft pick that, I mean, didn't look so, so, so great at the time. I thought they should have gone with Matthew Kachuk. And I think a lot of people agreed with me. But, I mean, to see him at least break into the NHL now, uh, hope he does well. Yeah. If anything, he's not a complete NHL bust where they don't hit the ice at all. But, yeah, not the outlook on that is not looking good. Uh, 22 years old. Uh, you compare it to somebody on the Habs, he's already two years older than Kakaniemi. So, you know, there we go. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, so, that's an interesting lineup decision. Well, it's something to track. And, yeah, definitely a head-scratcher from Be- from uh, Jim Benning over there with that pick. Uh, not, looking, uh, not looking too great with a fifth overall pick. Uh, all right. Uh, so, Coyotes, Preds, I think we were pretty much wrapped up on them. I'm very much looking forward to seeing Arizona continue on into the playoffs to see if Taylor Hall can maybe even, like, I don't know, find a new gear. Phil Kessel scored a goal today after a pretty underwhelming series overall. wonder if he can maybe recapture the magic from those Penguin Stanley Cup runs. And also Nick Schmaltz, I'm not, he didn't play at all in this series because he was injured. I'm not sure what the timeline is for him, but that's definitely something to watch, whether Arizona goes up against Colorado or Vegas. They'll be playing the, the loser of that round-robin game tomorrow. Oh, well, nice thing to add. When, since we were just talking about draft lottery a moment ago, uh, the, Taylor dra- the Taylor Hall draft lottery sweepstakes, uh, that streak is uh, unfortunately over, but uh, no, it isn't. Oh, it, it, it can't be. 
It can't be over if he's not in the draft lottery. Oh, that's true. That's factual. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so we're still on. We're still on. But this year, he can't win it this year. Uh, and yes, because uh, exactly. he's off to the playoffs, baby. Congratulations, Taylor. All right. Moving on to the uh, last series that we're talking about that has already been completed. And it is Edmonton, Chicago, and uh, fucking crazy. That's all I have to say about it. Yeah, man. All right. So this, I, I'm going to. I know I didn't pick the Blackhawks, but I think in our dynamic of just you and me, I might have a little bit of bragging rights because you were talking like, oh, yeah, man, Oilers have this one in the bag. I think you might have even called a sweep. Maybe you gave Chicago one game. But I, I, I said Edmonton in five, and I and I said, I don't think we should count the Blackhawks out. I would not be surprised at all to see the Blackhawks, you know, push Edmonton to their limits and maybe even take the series, which which they totally did. Uh, this series, I think it was I think it was Ryan Lambert on Puck Soup. Said, said it best. This was before Game 4, but I think it still applies, that this series was basically Edmonton and Chicago taking turns showing each other their ass because this team's <laughs> basically alternating at sucking defensively. Obviously, it all started in Game 1 when Dave Tippett decided to start Mike Smith and Chicago led 4-1 after the first period. And, I mean, not that Chicago was such a, a bright spot defensively either, as demonstrated by Edmonton scoring six goals themselves in Game 2 kind of making a series of it there. Uh, but yeah, the Blackhawks but won. They beat the Oilers. McDavid, Dreisaitl, Crosby, and Malkin all got eliminated on the same day, which is uh, pretty funny, pretty hilarious, I, I think. And I mean, all the, all the everyone who said Montreal and Chicago didn't belong here, uh, I mean, ki- kind of still right, even though Montreal and Chicago both won. But we can kind of st- stick it to them anyway. Uh, like one aspect I wanted to talk about, like a lot of people say, oh, going up against McDavid and Dreisaitl, is a lot harder when you have to do it in like a series or three games in a row. But I think maybe there's some validity to the other side of it too, that like as a, a team trying to shut him down, that playing a couple times in a row against him kind of helps you to figure him out a little bit and maybe slow him down slightly by the end. Not maybe, but he ended up scoring in the end. I mean, just the, the story yeah, wasn't... Yeah, but like... The story wasn't Chicago shutting down McDavid and Dreisaitl. Oh, Maybe a bit I of Dreisaitl, know. but definitely not McDavid. Okay? Like, the, the story was, uh, fucking Edmonton is absolutely terrible. Uh, anything below Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, it's just, oh my god, I did not believe. I cannot believe uh, the degree to which they completely shit the bed. I mean, McDavid doesn't disappoint. He scored goals in, I think, oh, every game, if not... He was amazing. You know, almost every game, if not all of them. Uh, spectacular. And, you know, that just goes, that just, you know, deepens the sadness, I feel, over the fact that the Edmonton Oilers are seriously going to waste the prime years of Connor McDavid because they can't fucking build a roster for shit. Because that's what's happening right now. Uh, that defense was completely miserable uh, against the Chicago team that admittedly had some firepower. You have Patrick Kane. You have Dominic Kubelik, who was fantastic. You have Jonathan Taves, who seemed to be pretty good as well. But other than that... Uh, nothing. Honestly, nothing on that Chicago team that really, you know, makes me, uh, gets me scared at all. And for some reason, everything just, that defense let them walk all over them. And yeah, I'm just greatly disappointed. You know, I absolutely, I thought Edmonton would take this in a cakewalk. I did predict a sweep and, you know, going back, clearly I made a mistake doing that because, oh boy, this team sucks ass. Uh, Connor McDavid all did all he could. But they got they lost in four. That's embarrassing. Um, yeah. To a Chicago team that is not a playoff team, twelfth seed. They had, they were not very good at all. Uh, this team is on the decline. But hey, we give them one last hurrah in the playoffs. 
sure, it's a fun story. Yeah, and they fucking beat Conor McDavid. So, <laughs> yeah, I give them that. And it's just, it's a miserable day to be a guy who picked the Oilers in three because, Jesus, they did not look like they belonged at all. Tanner Pearson just scored for the Canucks to make it 1-1 with about seven minutes left in the first period. Uh, yeah, so the Oilers had a pretty good regular season. And not they also they added Athens EU, Tyler Ennis, Mike Green at the trade deadline. Mike Green, of course, um, opted out of the return to play. But, I mean, if Mike Green opting out is the thing that totally sinks your defense, then, I mean, you probably got bigger problems. And, I mean, Mike Green barely even played for the Oilers. He played, I think, I think it was like two games because he was coming off an injury and he played two games before the pause. So, like, the Oilers, I mean, it looked like they took a lot of great steps forward this year. Uh, after you know missing the playoffs a couple years in a row, and I mean I think it's still safe to say that they they made progress even despite this this little slump. But I mean this series did prove that uh, that defense certainly needs some some shoring up. And I mean I've, I mentioned I like I like Ethan Bear on the last podcast, on our last episode. But I mean on their top pair already, I'm not too sure about that. And uh, Eric Stahl just scored for the Wild, so we got a two to one Minnesota lead now. Ooh, spicy news coming out of. Uh, I guess it's Edmonton now. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess the home ice advantage didn't really fucking do anything for Edmonton. Uh, nope. Completely embarrassed in their home city. And, yeah, just, I mean, uh, if we're going to shout out somebody, I talked talk about him earlier, Dominic Kubelik. Uh, oh, yeah. I think he scored five points in that Stop. first game. A monster. And he scored the winning goal today. An absolute snipe. Uh, top shelf on Miko Koskinen. And so, yeah, looks like, you know, that Calder nomination fully deserved. And Chicago's got themselves a budding star in their hands. Yeah, Chicago, a lot of people talk about them as like this this team that like the window's closing on their stars, you know, Taves, Kane, Keith getting up there in age. But they have a ton of great young talent. Dominic Kubelik among them is, I think, just turned 25 years old. So not, not exactly like, I don't know, some guy who's just been drafted, but he's got some great years ahead of him. Not to mention Dylan Strom's 23, and he's kind of broken through recently. Kirby Dock is a teenager, and he was awesome in that series against the Oilers. Uh, they got Debrinket is, of course, still very young. Adam Boquist kind of broke out near the end of the season, maybe a, possibly a future number one defenseman. And, of course, they've got Ian Mitchell as a promising defensive prospect too. So I think that the the turnaround for them, I think like Reddit's Taves and Kane are like really kind of start to plummet downwards, which appears to not have happened yet. I think these guys will be ready to step in and replace them. The only question mark is goaltending because, I mean, Corey Crawford is 35 and a pending UFA. And so they're going to have to bring in someone else next year, someone new, or maybe, I don't know, do you want to re-up Crawford if your goal is to make the playoffs again? I don't know. And another interesting thing to think of is we were kind of talking, at least I was, like if the Chicago lost and was picking like ninth or 10th overall this year, that Yaroslav Askarov, Chicago was probably the most likely landing spot for him. Now that they'll be picking probably 17th overall, uh, I'd be surprised if Askarov was still available at that point in the draft. So if they want a, a goalie of the future, they, they'll either, I don't know, trade up or maybe they'll have to look elsewhere. That's fascinating that you mentioned that. I did not think of that at all, the whole Escarab angle. Uh, I mean, we I think we both had him, or no, in our mock draft, I put him to Chicago and it was a great fit. I mean, yeah, now they gotta got to figure something else out. I'm sure they're happy about the playoff win for sure. But, you know, it's, it's definitely a situation to monitor. Talking about goalies for Chicago, I think Crawford did great this series. Uh, I mean, for a guy who I think he had like one week of preparation, because, like, I think he caught COVID. He obviously had those injury troubles, so he was a huge question mark. Uh, I would say the X factor from the for the Blackhawks coming into the series. Uh, and he performed decent. And 
pretty I mean, he wasn't terrible and that's what that's all they could ask for him. He didn't get injured, stayed healthy. Good for him. And yeah, for a guy who's had his, you know, his concussion troubles last couple of years, definitely a feel good story there. And for Chicago, I mean, man, that turnaround is going to be quick. You look at all those young names in the pipeline, uh, other than goaltender, it looks like they're going to be stacked. And man, uh, yeah, kind of jealous, man. They just come out, came off a decade where they won three cups. And yeah, I like that. But uh, yeah, Chicago looking good for the future. And I mean, another team kind of like Montreal where they're, they'll definitely benefit from the experience of whatever this is. Yeah, yeah, they certainly will, especially those those young players like like Kirby Doc and and the rest of them. Similarly to Suzuki and Kakanyemi in Montreal. Kirby Doc and Jesperi Kakanyemi, actually, the two most recent third overall picks. Anyway, uh, I don't want to talk about the draft too much, but think of Yaroslav Askarov. A lot of people were mock drafting him to Minnesota if the Wild lose to the Canucks and end up picking, uh, I, I guess, actually now with, with Montreal, Chicago, and Arizona all through. If Minnesota loses to Vancouver... Assuming they don't win Lafreniere, they'd be picking ninth. So they might have a guy like Holt still available that would be certainly hard to pass up on. Uh, but Askarov is a possibility to go there. Personally, I don't know if, if Minnesota should be targeting a goalie because Capo Kakinen, uh, who sounds like you're saying Capo Kako until that last syllable, is I think about 23, 24 years old um, and just had a fantastic year with the Iowa Wild of the AHL. So I wouldn't be too shocked if the Wild see him as the potential goalie of the future. And maybe a team that Askarov could end up slipping to, who would are I uh, yeah lined up to pick 14th is the Oilers because I mean you got Koskinen who I guess was I don't know he was fine-ish I guess but I don't necessarily want to put my trust in him and I think he's also like at least 31 years old now as the goalie of the future they don't have anyone else in the pipeline so the Oilers might be a team that wants to get their hands on Askarov. Yeah, I mean I think with this Chicago win now that they're you know, firmly uh, in, what, 17th pick or later, these Askarov, this Askarov watch becomes just that much more interesting. I think it kind of faded now that we, a lot of people have penciled them in uh, with Chicago, but now that that's kind of out of the picture, uh, a whole slew of teams that he could land with, uh, land, yeah, land with. And, I mean, it's, it's fucking, he might fall, who knows? Uh, because, and I don't know if he's going to go into the top 10 now. I won't be surprised if he fell out. 15th overall pick, somewhere around there. Fuck, who knows? Maybe Chicago will end up getting him. Uh, we'll end up seeing good goalie prospects. Always kind of weird, especially in the first round. And so, yeah, uh, unless you have anything else to add about that draft talk, uh, probably a very smooth segue, uh, we were just talking about Minnesota, into the uh, ongoing Minnesota-Vancouver series, uh, the game, game four of which we are tracking. And, uh, yeah, to be totally honest, I have not heard much about the series so do tell me your observations. All right, my observations. Uh, Minnesota has been pretty much about as advertised. I mean, we talked about them them overachieving to finish in tenth place, which is not necessarily such a such a glorious statement to make about a team overachieving to get tenth place, as you pointed out. But it seems like the overachieving kind of continues, especially in game one. Vancouver was totally flat, absolutely terrible. Minnesota totally shut them down, and they shut them out three to nothing. And then uh, game two is when Vancouver start to get rolling. Most specifically, the big the big three young guns, Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, and Quinn Hughes, were all fantastic in Game 2 and Game 3. Uh, I think it was, yeah, Game 3 was a, I want to say, a 3 to nothing Vancouver win. 
Quinn Hughes had three assists. Pedersen and Besser each had a goal and an assist. So they're the ones driving the bus for the Canucks. And I mean, for a team that, I mean, questionable depth when you got, you know, guys like Jay Beagle, Antoine Roussel, Brandon Sutter, Tyler Mott filling out your lineup, you really need your stars to show up. And the three of them definitely have so far. Uh, this game four, of course, they haven't been paying incredibly close attention, but it is two to one wild right now. And I mean, if the if the wild win, of course, there'll be a, there'll be a game five in two today's. Which so I'm kind of rooting for that outcome because I mean, deciding game usually game seven. This time around, game five, uh, I'm always pulling for for that to happen. Yeah, a hundred percent. Game fives, game sevens. A uh, hundred. I am fully on board. And so yeah, I picked the Canucks, but uh, right now I'm gonna put that on the back burner. Because uh, we need some more game fires. We've got one with Toronto Club is coming up. And uh, yes, I'm sure for another one. And so, yeah, talk about, you know, we're talking about how, what we what these teams kind of want uh, and what their goals are for the game heading into the series. Well, you know, we talked about low event hockey with the Habs earlier. I think that's what the Wild want as well because, you know, the Canucks. Uh, right now, what they're built on are those players that you talk about, those young players, you know, the Hughes, the Besser, the Patterson, uh, and the Besser. And... You know, if they don't really get going, if you don't, you know, the Wild just kind of plot along, that's how you end up with, you know, the Wild winning when they shut down their young player, they score zero goals. Or, you know, you end up with a low event game, a low scoring game, and that's where, you know, Minnesota's system-based defense first game, that's when it has the potential to, you know, to actually take the game. And so, yeah, that's, I think that's, you know, the, it's kind of a clashing of gameplay styles. We've seen the Wild take the first game and the Canucks take the next two. And what we've seen is, you know, basically whoever has, whoever asserts their gameplay style takes the game. No idea what's going on with game four right now. Got a couple of, you know, lead changes. But uh, yeah, I think that's what we expect to see. It's basically a war of game, uh, of gameplay styles. Whoever gets to assert theirs usually takes the game. Yeah, a couple of players I want to mention in this series. First one is Michael Furland. He played the first two games and then had to leave the bubble because, of course, he's been dealing with a lot of concussion or post-concussion issues uh, over his career, especially during this past year, his first year with the Canucks. I don't think he played very much. I think he played a couple games to start the year, then had to sit out. He came back for a, a conditioning stint with uh, the Utica Comets, had to leave that game. And now he was he's he was back with the Canucks. He played the first two games, but I guess it just wasn't working for him. So I feel really bad for Michael Furland. Tried a couple of times to to make a comeback. Not really sure what what the future what the future spells for him. He does have three more years left on the the Canucks deal, but I mean, wouldn't it be as as much as I hate to say it, wouldn't it be surprised if maybe this was it for his career? Considering he's tried a couple times now to return, and it just hasn't worked out. The other guys I want to mention both on the Minnesota Wild first. Former Hab, Alex Galchenyuk. I'm still a fan of his. We were told many, many times that he wasn't going to be a center at the NHL level, that he was better suited for a winger. We fought against it for a long time, as did many Habs fans. Just put him at center. Just put him at center, please. Until I think most of us finally actually started believing it. And I mean, the Coyotes tried him at center for, for a hot minute. Then they moved him to the wing. I don't think the Penguins ever put him at center when he was there for like a couple months. Now the Wilds were like, hey, I guess we'll try it. We've got some centers. We've got Stahl. We've got Koivu. We've got Eriksson Ek and Luke Cunnan. But, I mean, we'll move Cunnan over to the wing and try Galchenyuk at center. And, I mean, I think, at least from what I've seen, it's working all right so far. I think his line mates, uh, at least the last I checked, were Matt Zuccarello and Luke Cunnan on that, that second line for Minnesota. So, good for Galchenyuk. 
I was even thinking maybe at the beginning of this year, this year when he was underachieving so much with the Penguins, maybe he'd be heading over to Europe this summer. But in this this contract year, it looks like he's kind of redeemed himself with the Wild. Maybe he'll re-up there because it seems to be a good fit so far. Last guy also I want to bring up, Kevin Fiala. Because he has emerged, especially like not just in the series, but leading into the break for like a month leading into the pause. He was one of the absolute hottest players in the in the NHL. And it seems like he somewhat carried that over into the series against the Canucks. I mean, we made made fun of Paul Fenton for many reasons, including at the time this trade where he dealt Michael Granlund to Minnesota, no, not to Minnesota, sorry, to Nashville for Kevin Fiala was a bit of a head scratcher because Kevin Fiala, I think, was like 23 years old at the time, previously a very highly touted prospect who wasn't quite panning out. And a lot of people were saying like, oh, you gotta, you gotta beware of the highly of the former first rounder who's now getting into like this 22, 23 year old range and haven't quite hit their stride. But I mean, Kevin Fiala has he ever hit his stride this year? He is a, a bona fide top line winger now. I would say. Meanwhile, Michael Granlund underachieved this year, and he's a pending UFA. So for all the big mistakes Paul Fenton made during his tenure, uh, this Fiala trade has worked out quite nicely. Yeah, pocket exploded, kind of out of nowhere too. I mean, this guy, as you said. Uh, looking towards uh, middle of the road, uh, maybe a bust in territory when you get to that kind of age. But yeah, figured it out, put it together, uh, and now he's a first-line winger. And that's what you want to see out of your first-line players, uh, first-round picks. When, you know, they start struggling, uh, maybe they'll put it together. And, you know, for a lot of GMs, I think they might point to this and be like, uh, well, yeah, Paul Fenton did that one thing one time. And so, yeah, that gives me justification <laughs> to do it over and over in the next five years. And so, you know, that's maybe a bit of a red flag, but, you know, that's a speculation. Uh, so, yeah, Kevin Fiala. And when it comes to Alex Galchenyuk, I will always have a spot, soft spot for Alex Galchenyuk. Uh, I mean, fucking lottery pick, third overall, 2012. Uh, and, I mean, look, I like them as a player of the Habs. Never quite panned out, as you said. But, you know, he was here for a while. And I'd love to see the success on, 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 on his, yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, Blue Jackets, Maple Leafs, last series, we haven't really talked about that much. Of course, the, the Maple Leafs were absolutely embarrassed in game one, barely had any scoring chances, got shut out 2 nothing by the Blue Jackets, totally flipped the script in game two, uh, had a dominant 3 nothing performance, of course, kind of, kind of tainted by that Jake Muzzin injury. And then they kind of continued that dominance well into game three taking a 3 nothing lead late into the, uh, or at least I think like maybe midway through the second period. Then, of course, Blue Jackets storm back, tie the game, win it in overtime, Pierre-Luc Dubois hat-trick, Toronto on the brink. Today they're down 3 nothing. four minutes left in the game. It's looking like they're doomed. As you're saying, you're preparing their eulogy. Then all of a sudden, Nylander, Tavares, Hyman, game is tied, and Austin Matthews wins it in overtime. So it's been an absolutely a roller coaster ride for that series. Honestly, it feels like exactly what Columbus did in game one. Toronto did the opposite in uh, in game two. Same same kind of thing in game three and game four. So following that pattern, you think maybe Columbus would have the edge in game five, winning these all the odd numbered games. But obviously, that's kind of just a a, 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 a a an observation more than an actual analysis. I honestly heading into game five in that series, I'm going to stick to my guns. What I said in um. At the beginning, I think the Leafs are going to win. I think they're going to to make the playoffs, and I think so. Then they would be playing uh, if they win. Whichever team wins will play the loser of Philadelphia Tampa Bay. Okay, so this just the series. Uh, yeah, fucking blows my mind. It's been exciting, left to right, uh, and wall to wall action. I mean, you're talking about two, three to nothing deficits 
Uh, I mean, comebacks in the late game. They both end in overtime with the team that came back winning. Uh, just completely crazy. And uh, yeah, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I was in the shower earlier, uh, just about, you know, slightly before we started the podcast. And I had a whole thing going where I was going to talk about, you know, the goaltending and how Columbus uh, just, it, they look spectacular. I mean, Corpus Allo stole game, well, he didn't steal game one, but he was fantastic in game one. Uh, he was all right in game two. Game three, he wasn't very good. Gets pulled from Merzlikens, who then performed spectacularly and firmly on his way to a second game in a row where he gives up no goals. And then, I don't know what happened. Did he shit the bed? I haven't, I wasn't watching. I was fucking talking on the podcast. And so, yeah, I'll have to watch the tape later. But, uh, yeah, look, from the sound of it, when you read out the, the list of the goal scorers for the Leafs, I mean, it looks like their stars finally came on. And that was the thing, right? It just they couldn't, it seemed that they couldn't figure out how to get, you know, their star players to get them to produce. They weren't, the offense, which was supposed to be their, you know, their main attraction, uh, their big strong point, it just was not producing all night uh, in game one for the latter half of game three, and then all of game four until the very end, apparently. But yeah, Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, and I guess Hyman to a certain extent because he's on that first line. They seem to have all scored. And yeah, I guess they figured it out. And fuck me because that I hate that. Man, I was looking forward to that eulogy. I had it all prepared. And now it's got to wait 48 hours or longer, depending on when we do the next podcast. Because I am firmly in the belief that the Leafs cannot win any sort of playoff series. I stand by my pick with the Blue Jackets. Which, admittedly, I had no faith in the Blue Jackets before the series started. But now that it's 2-2, they've stolen a couple of games. I'm going Blue Jackets all the way, baby. No conflict of interest here. Uh, rooting 100% for my bracket and for my favorite team between the two. Yeah, we were talking when it was 2 nothing about Leafs like, oh, they, are they going to trade Marner? Have to totally revamp their defense. Maybe even like trade Morgan Riley. And, and now that's kind of out the window, at least for now. At least for now. The Blue Jackets could blow the doors off in Game 5, and then we're having these discussions all over again, and your eulogy will remain totally intact. That is definitely well within the realm of possibility. So uh, so don't don't throw out that uh, that eulogy script just yet. Maybe hold on to it for, for a hot minute. Um, I don't know when we're going to do our, our next episode, but maybe it'll be like on, on August 10th. So that is, that's Monday. That's a couple of days from now. If we want to do maybe a shorter episode talking like we'll recap the, I guess, Toronto Columbus, because that'll be done by then as well as Vancouver, Minnesota, and maybe preview the upcoming series because all the matchups will be set by then. Maybe even the upcoming draft lottery that night. Um, I guess maybe it won't be a shorter episode if we're previewing all the, all the series and making predictions, but either way, I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily necessary to do, an episode right after the draft lottery because that can kind of we can kind of hold up hold off on that until the next weekend and we'll bring it up so maybe sometime on august 10th so really in a couple days from now will be our, our next show yeah we have uh tons of fucking content if the last six days have told us anything it is just a total flood of stuff to talk about i mean we just covered the different series and we've covered an hour and a half we don't have uh we'll, we'll hold off on the guess who for at least another episode. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, just, I mean, I'm having, I don't know, I know you are, I'm, I'm absolutely sure that you are too, but I'm having such a blast. I know I was out for like five days, but even then, just coming back, 
coming home to this tidal wave of hockey. Uh, not only your texts, but then I just turn on the TV and just watch a bunch of fucking stuff. Uh, it's just absolutely fantastic. I'm having the time of my life. Yeah, it's really it's amazing. It's it's like it's like World Junior style kind of when you got just games going on all day, except it's the NHL and it's like nine days in a row. It will be kind of kind of toned down tomorrow. There will just be the two round robin games tomorrow, so maybe a little a little chance to breathe because I mean the past week basically the entire rest of my life has been on hold. It's been like for the most part, I wake up at I don't know about eleven. Uh, game starts at noon, except for maybe one or two days where the game started at like two or two thirty, and then uh, I'm watching watching until like a little past one in the morning. Then I go to bed, so like uh, very little time for anything else. And I mean, maybe it's gonna be nice to get back to you know other things, but at least for now, just have this one week that's all crazy NHL Stanley Cup qualifier slash round robin hockey that we're never gonna see again. I assume it's been absolutely nuts. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, did you see Barry Trotz? Uh, one asked, he said he prefers this 2014 playoffs, uh, this this format. And uh, yeah, kind of bonkers. I mean, it's like, uh, could you imagine if they did this every year, where 24 of the 32 teams made the playoffs? Uh, I mean, it's, I know it's a special year this year, but uh, fucking, that's not about that one, Barry. But yeah, I it's be fucking opposed, too many. Yeah. I want to be opposed to maybe like 20 out of 32. If you want to do like, in each conference, the seven versus ten and the eight versus nine play some best of five series because I love these best of five series. It's kind of like you jump right ahead to, to like the most fun part when like the series is already tied one one. So I love best of fives. I wouldn't mind if the end like I don't think the NHL should make their first round a best of five. I think they should stick with like four best of seven series. But if you want to have that like quote unquote play in with the bubble teams, I would love that. Also because it creates more playoff races. There'll be like the race for for obviously 10th to get into the, the play-in, the race for 6th to not have to play in the play-in. So that's kind of twice as many races in each conference. Hey, man, and I can't imagine the league would be against that either. Uh, extra playoff money when you have more playoff series, right? And more viewership, uh-huh. dollars, everything. So yeah, uh, just uh, some interesting ideas bouncing around. And uh, it's the time for interesting ideas. Looking forward to that draft lottery, I gotta say. Uh, I know we're doing a preview shortly. But uh, woo, I want to see that reveal. So, yeah. uh, anything else you want to add before we leave? Uh, I suppose that's it. Would you like to to sign off for this episode? Uh, all right. Uh, sure thing. Uh, so yeah, one last thing. Happy birthday, Cindy Crosby. Hope you enjoyed <laughs> that elimination. I know that was much touted across the hockey world. It's his birthday today. So yeah, happy birthday, Sid. Uh, and uh, yeah, have fun on your way home. And uh, yeah, so that's this episode. I gotta say, just like last last week, I am fucking over the moon uh, and just pumped with adrenaline over the fact that the Habs are now officially a playoff team in 2020. Let's fucking go. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next week. Uh, or no, less than next week. We'll see you in a few days uh, with some more playoff action. This episode of Fusion and Hockey Podcast is sponsored by Sandborn's Boys. This new sports novel by Benji Mellers is available on Amazon. Order your copy of Sandborn's Boys.